Welcome to the Brave New Energy Podcast with Brown Rudnick. I'm Jimmy Morrissey. And I'm Kyle Johnson. And we are doing a limited series of episodes in the run-up to the inaugural Venture Clash Climate Edition being held in New Haven, Connecticut on October 27th. We're speaking with some of the pitching companies that are powering the clean tech revolution. Each of the companies have fascinating technologies and inspiring leaders. We are excited to bring these changemakers to our audience. Today, we're pleased to welcome Dr. Staff Sheehan, uh, Chief Technology Officer of Air Company. Dr. Stafford Sheehan is a world-leading scientist, inventor, and global thinker with 10 published patents in the chemistry and physics field, over 38 academic publications, and several technical awards. In 2016, his work landed him on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. With a bachelor's in chemistry from Boston College and a PhD in physical chemistry from Yale University, Dr. Sheehan's work and research led him to develop catalyst materials for fuel cells and electrolyzers for hydrogen production and spearheaded the development of disruptive proprietary technologies. As the creator of Air Company's groundbreaking carbon utilization technology, Dr. Sheehan leads a team of distinguished scientists and engineers overseeing all technical ideation, innovation, and execution. Staff, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me, Kyle. I appreciate it. Sure. So let's just start from the beginning. Um, what led you to Air Company? What's sort of the origin story of the company? It was uh, serendipitous, really. You know, I, I was I was working, you know, in the chemical industry at the time. Was actually living in Israel and was invited to uh, go on a trip for Forbes 30 Under 30 awardees and speakers at this conference that they were having in Jerusalem. Greg was also invited to go on that trip, and so he flew out from the U.S. where he was living at the time. And he and I met on this trip in Israel. And at the time, I was, as I mentioned, kind of working in the chemical industry, but also had a passion for carbon dioxide utilization, wanted to do something in the space. Greg was working at a, a large spirits conglomerate. He also had a passion for sustainability, wanted to do something in the space as well. So I was doing carbon dioxide utilization technologies to create alcohol specifically, and he was selling alcohols. So it worked out that we would uh, start Air Company and have our first product as Air Vodka. And uh, we've gone from there now five, uh, almost six years. How does the technology uh, work in terms of how do you create vodka from the air? So we take carbon dioxide. We capture that from either a point source or uh, from the air. Right now, we primarily use point sources because they're more economic. We take green hydrogen that's produced via water electrolysis, so powered with renewable electricity. And then we combine the carbon dioxide and the green hydrogen in a flow reactor. And that's part of our proprietary technology is this reactor system. But the most uh, important part of our technology are the catalysts that facilitate the conversion of carbon dioxide and hydrogen into our products. We create products ranging from ethanol, uh, which is the alcohol that you use in spirits and fragrances and consumer goods, all the way to paraffins, which are the constituents of things like aviation fuel. So that's kind of how our technology works at a, at a high level. So when you founded Air Company was, you know, obviously alcohol was the product that sort of led you to the company, but was uh, sustainable aviation fuel always sort of in the back of your mind? Yeah, when we started the business, there was a kind of a hierarchy of, you know, certain products that we could make that are very low volume and high value. And then other products that have a much larger market. So they're very large volume, but uh, lower value on a per gallon basis. And at Air Company, we focus on converting carbon dioxide into liquid products specifically. That's what our technology is focused for. And so if you're converting carbon dioxide into liquids, you can make high value liquids like the ethanol that goes in a fragrance, you know, which you sell a 50 milliliter 
bottle of fragrance for hundreds of dollars. So, you know, on a per milliliter basis, you're getting single digit dollars per milliliter, uh, you know, for the ethanol that you're producing yeah, is kind of like the most dollars per gallon you're going to get for, for your ethanol, all the way down to using it as fuel, where you're selling several gallons for $2.50 ballpark per gallon. Um, now, of course, the grade of the ethanol varies, but one of the advantages of our technology is we can make very high purity ethanol um, and we can make very high purity products in general um, compared to the fossil fuel equivalent or the biofuel equivalent. So is your business model based on licensing the IP or are you actually planning to have uh, installations located in your target markets? Both. So in order to have our licenses or have a license for our intellectual property be worth anything, we need to demonstrate that it functions at the level that we want it to, at a level that's economic. And so we are building out our first few facilities. They're going to be owned and operated by ourselves. And then once we've proven the technology and proven its economics, then we'll start working with operating companies and licensing it. Of course, you know, we're an early stage business, a growth stage business, as many of the others that are that you're interviewing, you know, in this series are. And when you're in the growth stage and you're not a hundred billion dollar business already, you know you can be flexible with uh, with your plan. So that's how we're we're approaching it. We're uh, owning and operating up into a point where we can actually show that the technology is really valuable at large scale. So you guys have had a pretty big year in terms of announcements. You had a thirty million dollar round earlier this year, and then have announced some exciting partnerships. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So we announced that we closed our Series A round earlier this year. That was led by a firm called Carbon Direct. We had folks like JetBlue and Toyota participate in it. And just recently, we announced our um, sustainable aviation fuel, which is something we've been working on for even longer than we've been working on the Series A round. So we've been working on the sustainable aviation fuel for several years, and we've been in stealth mode on it. I think many people in the industry thought that we were just a vodka company, and that's kind of what we wanted them to think. You know, it helped us to um, it helped us to build out the consumer part of our business, um, which is very important because when you're scaling chemical technologies, you have to start on a smaller scale than world scale than refinery scale than something that could really drive the sale of jet fuel. So we unveiled our jet fuel earlier this year, along with a flight that we did with the U.S. Air Force of the first ever fully carbon dioxide derived jet fuel to fly an airplane, a small airplane, but an airplane nonetheless. So that was kind of our big announcement earlier this year, along with offtake with several of our partners and a handful of other fuel-related innovations. So yeah, happy to answer any questions about that as well. So this is a climate transition podcast, which we should ask, how does sustainable aviation fuel factor into the energy transition? That's a really good question. So sustainable aviation fuel is probably one of the only fuels that is really important in the energy transition because a lot of the energy transition is about removing the need for fuel overall, like for example, electrification of light vehicles. So for light vehicles, you can remove the engine and uh, remove the need for gasoline by putting a battery, a really big battery in the car. The challenge with aviation is that you can't fly an airplane on a battery for a long haul because there's an energy density problem. Now, energy density is how many kilowatt hours of energy can you store in a kilogram of your battery or of your energy carrier? Now, liquid fuels are a much more energy-dense energy carrier than batteries. So liquid fuels, you can store a lot more kilowatt hours of energy in a kilogram of a liquid fuel as you can compared to a battery, you know, 10 to 100 times more to give you an idea. So several orders of magnitude, more fuel can be stored in, for example, Jet A 
compared to a lithium ion battery. That's really important when you're trying to fly something because you're very sensitive to weight when you're trying to fly things, especially on long haul flights. So aviation is one of the harder to decarbonize sectors because of that. And uh, that's the reason why we went after sustainable aviation fuel, because sustainable aviation fuel is going to be needed for quite some time, especially given you know the regulations and how long uh, a typical commercial airliner will remain in service, which is usually several decades. And so I'm assuming then that your fuel works with current aviation infrastructure. Yeah, that's an important part of what we do. Our fuel is fully drop-in compatible, so it can drop into current aviation infrastructure. We don't need to make any changes to the infrastructure or to the jet engines to use our sustainable fuel. And can you produce the fuel at the place where it's needed? Is that one of the benefits to your technology? Well, when your ingredients are just air, water, and sunlight, yes, absolutely. Our fuel can be generated on site. And that's one of the big advantages you know, that we use for deployment with a lot of our partners. It's phenomenal in terms of the amount of transportation and pipelines and everything that is, it would eliminate from the supply chain. Yeah, we're able to help alleviate that and also the greenhouse gas emissions of that. Because transport of fuel itself, you know, if you have to burn fuel to transport your fuel, then the overall cost in carbon of your fuel when you actually start to burn it is higher than just whatever your emissions are at that particular point source. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the uh, biggest challenges you faced working in uh, in this industry? So I would say that, you know, it's a nascent industry, the carbon dioxide utilization space. Energy industry is an old industry as well. Uh, oil and gas is 150 years of infrastructure and lots of profits that we have to, uh, you know, compete with. So I would say one of the challenges is personnel. So getting the right people uh, is one of the biggest challenges we face. I would say you can think of it as, you know, if you're an oil and gas company, you have virtually unlimited money. I mean, you, you, you dig into the ground and then your money comes out for free. So oil and gas companies can afford much larger incentive packages for employees. They can spend a lot more money and they can spend a lot more resources on seeking talent and hiring talent. And a lot of talent that we source in the carbon dioxide utilization space is the same skill set. Uh, because, you know, what we're trying to do is take the carbon out of the air and produce materials that mitigate fossil fuels or put the carbon back in the ground if you're doing CO2 sequestration. And a lot of that equipment is the same equipment that you use in oil and gas to pull the carbon out of the ground. So, you know, we have to compete with the legacy energy industry for talent, which I would say is, is a pretty big challenge, especially when the legacy en energy industry uh, is doing very well. Uh, you know, right now the price of gas is pretty high. So a lot of the talent out there is going into the oil and gas, you know, the legacy polluting industry. And, you know, we get, I would say, we get folks who have a very, um, you know, specific mission toward, um, you know, sustainability. As I see it, the primary hurdles for you is how SAF becomes more widespread in its adoption in the uh, aviation industry. What does that look like for you? And is there anything that's going to help move that along? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, sustainable aviation fuel recently got a big boost from the um uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a tax credit, a blender's tax credit that was included in that. So that's helped to propel the fuel forward. I would say policy is, is very important when it comes to fuel, because uh, you can think of it this way. Policy is what got us into this mess um, and enabled fossil fuels for so many years. So now we need that policy to kind of shift. 
and savor renewable fuels and sustainable fuels, especially fuels that are made from processes like ours, power to liquids processes. And as that shift happens, I think that's going to make it more favorable to do things like what we're doing. I would say that public perception and the public awareness uh, you know, for solutions to address climate change is also incredibly important. Obviously, the public is what drives politics. So there are a lot of people out there that are very aware that climate change is a problem, but a much, much smaller subset that are aware of the technologies that are being used to address climate change. So I would say if you ask kind of a random person, there's a really good chance they're going to know about what climate change is but there's a very low chance they're going to understand what carbon dioxide utilization is. So helping to educate the public about what the solutions are to address climate change, I think, is critically important. You recently announced the development of a facility in Niagara Falls. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. So we, um, you know, one of the things we we talked about a lot when we unveiled our aviation fuel innovation are our upcoming facilities. So right now we operate a pilot plant in Brooklyn, New York, where I'm calling you in from. And at the pilot plants, we are producing fuels on the gallon scale, you know, one to 10 to hundreds of gallons of fuel. That's not enough to fly like a commercial airliner or a very large, uh, you know, airplane. So we're building a much larger plant, uh, one that's around 150 times larger. And uh, that's called our System 3.0. That's uh, our small commercial demonstration facility. And that's going to really demonstrate the viability of the technology at true commercial production scales. And then beyond that, we are building our world-scale plants, which are going to be on the order of tens of millions of gallons of sustainable aviation fuel. Those plants are the ones that are really going to drive the climate impact of our technology. And do you see advancements in hydrogen and hydrogen-based technologies as critical for the wide adoption of your technology? Yes, hydrogen technologies are very important. They are critical, I think, not just for our technology, but you know, I'll give you an example. Right now, uh, around percent of greenhouse gas emissions come from the production of fertilizer, production of ammonia. To make ammonia, you have to take hydrogen and nitrogen that you capture from the air. So, you know, we're drowning in a sea of nitrogen. There is, uh, you know, over 70% nitrogen in our atmosphere. That nitrogen can easily be separated from, you know, the from the oxygen, uh, you know, the other constituents of the air in these ammonia plants that run something called the Haber-Bosch process. So the Haber-Bosch process just combines the hydrogen and the nitrogen and makes ammonia. And that's really important to us because uh, we're eating that hydrogen from that ammonia in pretty much everything we eat. You know, the Haber-Bosch process drives modern agriculture. So we need hydrogen to come from sources that are not natural gas because right now the burning of natural gas uh, or the you know chemical consumption of natural gas for the Haber-Bosch process is almost 2% of global CO2 emissions which is just a huge, huge, huge chunk of it. That hydrogen needs to come from a more renewable source. For example, water electrolysis or green hydrogen. In our case as well, at our company, you know, we consume hydrogen to produce our fuels. We only use green hydrogen because that's kind of central to our you know, sustainability, is central to our mission. So in all of our deployments, we're only utilizing hydrogen that's uh, produced via water electrolysis. It's very important to make that more widespread for the scale up of our process. Not just for us, I think for humanity overall, we absolutely need greener hydrogen or lower carbon hydrogen because people like to fly, people like to, you know, enjoy the modern products that come from fossil fuels that we are replacing. And people also like to eat. So if you don't have ammonia for fertilizer, we're not going to be able to sustain the global population. You know, hydrogen, not just for fossil fuel based wonders of modern life, but also for just, you know, for people to eat is critically important. 
So staff, one question we like to ask all of the, the founders that we talk to, what's the one piece of advice you wish that you'd received as a new entrepreneur? Um, I would say one piece of advice is that it's going to be really, really hard. And there's going to be times when things aren't going to work out. Uh, one thing that's important to do when you're in those situations is to keep your business's flexibility. Because the biggest advantage that a startup has over a big business is flexibility. The biggest disadvantage a startup has over a big business is that a startup doesn't have nearly as much money. And that's a huge disadvantage, but you can use the flexibility to your advantage. Like uh, to give an example, at Air Company, we've always said we were going to go toward a fuel product, you know, in the, in the long term. In our earliest pitch decks, we'd say, well, we're going to start by selling these consumer goods because we get more dollars per gallon. We can bring the public along on our story. You know, we can help people do good and just like, you know, their general purchasing decisions every day. Um, so we're going to start with these consumer goods for all of these good reasons, but then to truly have an impact, we have to go to fuel. We didn't say which fuel we were going to go to. You know, we didn't know the direction the world was going to go in. We didn't know if somebody was going to come up with a magic turbine that could fly, you know, airplanes off of straight hydrogen or, you know, super efficiently and super safely or magic battery that would, that, you know, would make it work really effectively. We didn't know that the electric vehicle revolution was going to happen. I think, you know, if, if I'd known that was going to happen, I would have bought a bunch of Tesla stock in 2015, um, which I did not do. So I would say that you don't know the direction the world is going to go in. Really, the only advantage you have as a startup over a really big business is this flexibility. Things are going to get really hard because you're not as well capitalized as a big business. You don't have the people and the personnel and the resources. But even when things are really hard, make sure you keep your flexibility because that's your superpower as a startup. That's wonderful advice. It, it's been great speaking with you today, staff. To wrap this up, if you had 30 seconds with a major potential investor, what's your elevator pitch? 30 seconds, air company is going to stop climate change. And if they're an investor that doesn't care about climate change, then they can not invest in us. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much, staff, for joining us. Uh, stay tuned for more exciting companies and entrepreneurs participating in Venture Clash Climate Edition. For more information about Air Company and other participating companies that are powering the clean tech revolution, please visit VentureClash.com. If you'd like to discuss this episode or any other development or energy-related issue, our contact information can be found on BrownRudnick.com. Mm-hmm.